awesome. Thanks, Ed. Leah. We're going to be reading out of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 26. Do you guys want to turn there? Let me go ahead and pray. God, thank you for this group of people that have come just to worship you. And we thank you for being in our presence today as we read your word, as we apply it to our hearts, as we sing songs about your glory and your greatness. God, I just pray that as we look at the words of Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I pray that that same Spirit would change our hearts, help our focus and our lives to be around you, God. I just pray that everyone would leave here today a little more focused on Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to start doing a uh, three-week series on the book of Philippians. My brother is coming next week, and he's going to give us uh, chapter 2, talking about Jesus coming down from exaltation to humiliation. And the week after that, I'll finish it up with Philippians 3, looking at losing everything in order to gain Christ. But we're going to start out in Philippians 1, and we're going to look at the concept of rejoicing, the concept of joy, how to find joy in this life, how to pursue joy, how to pursue Christ in joy, despite tough circumstances, despite the threat of death, and throughout your entire life. As we study this passage, um, let's try to have our mentality not be focused on reading this like it's an ancient work of literature. I don't know if any of you guys have uh, taken some college and maybe you've studied some ancient books. Uh, Maybe you've studied the Odyssey or the Iliad. Uh, Maybe you've even taken Bible as literature. You can take courses uh, just studying the Bible as literature. Um, The Word of God is living and active. Hebrews 4.12. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Let's not look at this like a museum, okay? We're not studying this piece of literature, and we can see how the historical um, aspects of it work together, and we can see how life was back then. Let's read this in a way so that our lives may be changed. Let's try to feel Paul's emotion. Let's try to feel what the Spirit wants us to see as we read through the Word. This ought to come alive in our hearts and minds. This right here is one of the most emotional outpourings in the New Testament, in the whole Bible. This is one of the the most emotional, um, tense, um, hard parts of Scripture where we can just see Paul in such a tight spot and he doesn't know what he's going to do. So let's try to to feel that. Let's try to feel what Paul's saying. It's, It's my hope and desire that as we read through this, that we would all come with more joy in the faith, more joy when we study God's Word. More joy when we pray, when we think about what Jesus has done for us. Not all of us have treasured Christ as we should. And I pray that He would become more of our treasure as we study through this. Philippians 1.19 For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ 
will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. There are four things I want to look at here. There are four things that Paul rejoices in, that Paul finds joy in through this. First, Paul rejoices in hope. Paul rejoices hopefully. Look at verse 19 once again. I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Here the word deliverance literally means salvation. It's that same idea, the idea of salvation, of being delivered, of being carried away from great harm or great distress in the same way that Christ saved us from the wrath of God and from our sin and from death. Salvation, deliverance, it's the same concept here. Actually, it's, it's a quote from the Old Testament. Um, Paul's Hebrew readers immediately would have thought of Job 13, 16, where Job says, This also will be my salvation, for a godless man may not come before his presence. Paul is not here necessarily saying that he is going to be delivered from death. You see, Paul's in prison, and Paul has the threat of execution hanging over his head. It's as if any of us in here were in death row, and we are awaiting for the order to come down for our day of execution. But Paul here, when he says deliverance, he's not necessarily saying that he believes that he will be saved from this threat of execution, and yet he still rejoices. He's saying that he's not sure whether or not he will actually be physically delivered. He will be physically delivered from that execution, but he still rejoices in God. This reminds me of the book of Daniel. Are you familiar with the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You see, they refused to bow down to the Babylonian gods. They refused to bow down to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. And when they refused to do that, he threatened them with throwing them in the furnace. And would you know what they said before they went in there? Before, when they were about to be thrown in the furnace? Daniel 3, 17 and 18. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. But even if he does not, we are not going to serve your gods. Our hope as Christians is not built on a certainty of whether we live or whether we will die. Okay, I hope in Christ and I trust in Christ and the resurrection that he brings, not because I have some supernatural revelation that I will make it home today on the freeway. Not because I have some special hidden knowledge that I will make it through next week. We don't know when our time is to die. But we still have hope in the resurrection in Christ. Look what Paul says he bases this hope on. Verse 19. I know that through your prayers. The very first thing that he bases this hope of deliverance on is the prayers of the saints. We find a certain knowledge and safety and comfort when we know that people are praying for us. John Bunyan wrote this. Prayer is the opener of the heart of God, and a means by which the soul, though empty, is filled. By prayer, the Christian can open his heart to God as to a friend and obtain fresh testimony of God's friendship to him. When you talk to God, 
you obtain this fresh testimony, this fresh remembrance of your position with God, that you have peace with God according to your justification. If you're feeling unsure in your salvation, if you're kind of wondering whether or not you're saved and maybe you haven't talked to God in a while, that's probably what it is. It's probably that you haven't prayed, you haven't talked to God, you haven't communicated with God. You see, we receive a special assurance from God when we communicate with Him in prayer. We are sure of our salvation because we have peace with God, already having been justified by faith, as Paul says in Romans. I find that the most difficult times for me as a Christian are defined by a lack of prayer. If I can look at the hardest times in my life spiritually, I can look back and, yeah, I, I didn't pray. I wasn't praying. I can't really point at times that I had with God alone, Bible study times I had by myself, with my family, with my friends. I can't really point at times where I communicated with God during those times. And I think that's why those times are hard, because we don't trust God. We don't cast ourselves upon Him in prayer. God wants us to come to Him in prayer with boldness. Yesterday, um, I, my parents invited me to go to Vince's Spaghetti. And I don't know if any of you guys like Vince's Spaghetti, but um, I had a, a French beef dip sandwich, and it was awesome. It was really good. And then I went over to my friend's house, and uh, we, me and my family went to our friend's house, and uh, they were cooking up burgers. So I had a burger, and I had some chips. Um, and I went to my parents' house, and I ate some candy, and I continued to eat. I like to eat. I, I like food. I enjoy food. Um, I had a lot of food yesterday. I, I, I rarely go, my wife can attest to this, I rarely go a couple hours without eating something. Right? I, I rarely go very long without eating. And yet, we would never miss a meal, but we miss our time with God. We forget to pray. We forget to talk to Him. John 6, 35, Jesus says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever comes to Christ will not hunger. We must come to Him. We must come to Him in prayer and boldness. Our hope and our assurance of our salvation and deliverance is magnified when we spend time with God in prayer, when others are praying for us, when we have a, a community of faith that all comes together in prayer. A lot of times you can tell the health of a church by the attendance of the prayer meeting. Who is praying? Not only attendance at a formal prayer meeting, but who is praying in their homes for the well-being of the church? Are you there? Are you at that point where you can come together and pray on a, on a consistent basis? So the first foundation for Paul's hope is prayer. The second foundation is also found in verse 19. The help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. One of the ministries of the Spirit of God is to reassure, to comfort us. He's the comforter and the helper of our hearts. We see this manifestation of the Holy Spirit at work in Acts 9.31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord... And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The context of that passage is similar to the context that Paul is writing here when he says that he rejoices in Philippians. In Philippians, Paul's imprisoned, and he has a threat of death hanging over his head. In Acts chapter 9, Paul has just been lowered in a basket over the city wall to escape Damascus because they were threatening to kill him as he had just converted to Christianity. And he had just been sent away from Jerusalem because when he went to Jerusalem, they also wanted to kill him. The threat of death 
was hanging over his head. And yet, what was the motivation and the, fa- the, the driving factor for the growth of the church? The comfort of the Holy Spirit is what we read in Acts 9.31. So the Spirit sustains us. The Holy Spirit assures us and comforts us in our hearts. The church continued to grow at an accelerator rate just because of that, that ministering power of the Holy Spirit. What is the conclusion of Paul's hope? We looked at a couple of foundations. The conclusion of his hope, the ultimate goal that he trusted in. Look at the end of verse 20, Philippians 1 again. Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Whether you live for Christ or you die for Christ, Christ will be honored. Christ will be and must be exalted in our hearts and minds and the people around us who see us and observe what we do for Christ. We can have a sure hope that Revelation 5, that that promise will come true. Revelation 5.13, all will cry out, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. See, Christ will be exalted in us and in those around us as we progressively submit more and more to the Holy Spirit, to his will for our lives. We become more and more sanctified and set apart for God. So Paul's joy, first of all, is manifested in certainty and hope. Number two, Paul rejoices in life. Paul just proclaimed that Christ would be exalted in his body, whether by life or by death. Let's see exactly how that works out in life. Verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul defines it very simply. It's very simple. The joy that we find in life is defined in one word by Paul. To live is Christ. Jesus Christ, serving Jesus Christ, loving Jesus Christ, treasuring him in our hearts. That is the joy that is found in this life. That is the joy to Paul. To Paul, his entire existence can be summed up in the word Christ, in Jesus Christ. His ultimate cause is not a goal, a religion, um, not a belief, an idea, a philosophy. It's a person. It's a living person, Jesus Christ himself. This is very convicting for me personally, and this should be convicting to some of us in here if we are not treasuring Christ in that way. Can you honestly say that your life is defined by Jesus Christ? Even some of us who appear to be serving God, we're really just serving cold, dead religion or institution, our own selves, others. Ultimately, we need to be serving Jesus Christ. If I were to follow you around, if I were to, to uh, spy on you, if I were to, no, I'm not going to, if I, if I were going to look at your phone records, your internet history, if I were to look at um, your receipts, your checkbook, your banking account, what picture would I get? Would I even know that you're a Christian? Or would I just think that this person's serving other things, money, material things? The temporary things that fade away. I know for me, that's kind of discomforting. <laughs> I don't want you to see my bank account and my receipts because I know that I'm not always serving Christ in that way. Paul's very joy and passion are wrapped up in Jesus Christ. There is no ultimate goal for Paul except for him. Paul con- continues this thought on in chapter 3. We're going to look at that in a couple weeks. Philippians 3.14 I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Paul's very existence is defined by pressing on towards a final goal of Jesus Christ. Look at Philippians 1, verse 22, continuing on with this idea of rejoicing in life. Paul says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. You see, some of us have this idea that if we are blessed with 75 years on this earth, 80 years on this earth, 85 years on this earth, that we're going to work, we're going to put our 40 years into society, we're going to put our 40 years of, uh, our 50 years or whatever it is, of productive work into society, and then we're going to take the last 20 years for ourselves without serving Christ. We're going to go golfing, we're going to go on our cruise ships, we're going to go sailing, and we're not going to serve Jesus Christ. I deserve it, right? I worked for 40 years. I deserve 20 years to myself. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from what the Bible says for us. Paul here is saying that if he gets out of this situation alive, that he will do nothing but fruitful labor for Christ. You see, if I was on death row, I don't know if I could say that. I could say, if I, got, if I ever get out of this situation, I, I'm going to spend a, a year to myself, and I'm going to do the things that I want to do on my own pleasures. I think, unfortunately, that's probably in my heart, and that's probably in the hearts of some of us in here. But Paul, to him, any more time that he's given on this earth is just more time for him to serve Christ. I'm not saying that retirement is, is wrong. I'm not saying that li formally giving up your, your formal um, work life is wrong. But what are you spending that time on, that extra time? Is that on yourself, or should that be spent in service to Christ? Pastor John Piper preached these convicting words. What a tragedy in America that billions of dollars are invested every year to get people my age to waste the rest of our lives. It's called retirement. In some, you've worked for it, now enjoy it. Twenty years of play, while the world, uncared for medically, uneducated, poverty-stricken, and unevangelized, sinks under the weight of healthy 65-year-old people playing bridge and shuffleboard, collecting shells, and fishing, and golfing their way into the presence of King Jesus. And you know what? You're going to join them. Unless at this stage in your life you make some very radical decisions very radical commitments, very radical choices about where your treasure is. You see, if your treasure is on this earth, then you're going to fall into that trap of spending that time on yourself. If your treasure is in heaven, you will serve Christ with your entire life. Every hour that God blesses you with, every day that he blesses you with, is more time to serve Christ, as Paul said. To Paul, life meant nothing. Life meant nothing to him if it didn't mean serving Jesus Christ. So number two, Paul rejoices in life. Number three, Paul rejoices in death. There are some human experiences that are universal. Love and anger and pain and death. I think death is probably the most universal. As the author of Hebrews said, Hebrews 9.27, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. If you look at arts, if you look at film, music, if you look at plays, poetry, a lot of the, the beauty that comes from that is looking at the universal human experience of death. We see that everybody experiences and thinks about death. Look again at the phrase in verse 21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I would argue that those are necessary, ne necessarily attached at the hip. 
The only reason that death is gained to Paul is because that first statement is true. To live is Christ. If for you to live is not, to, is not Christ, then death will not be gained for you. Because for you to, living, to live is something else. Life is defined by something else, something temporary. And in death, we lose all the temporary. Therefore, to you, death is loss. The only reason that Paul can say that death is gain is because life is Christ. Amen. Death, by defin definition, is a loss unless it is, your life is invested in Christ. Verse 23 in Philippians 1. My, de my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Realize that being in the presence of Jesus Christ in death is far better than anything that this world has to offer. Speaking of the heroes of the faith who died in the hope of seeing Jesus Christ, the author of Hebrews writes this, Hebrews eleven sixteen, But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Eternity with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth will be so much more joyful than this life to be united with Christ in life after death. C.S. Lewis wrote this, Joy is the serious business of heaven. What is awesome about Paul saying that death is gain to me is that flies in the face of, of human wisdom, of the philosophies of this world. Death is hopeless for people who do not have the cross, who do not have the resurrection as their hope. 1 Corinthians 15.22 for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. What a relief that is for us who will face death one day. All of our friends and family will one day face death unless Jesus Christ returns first. And that's a relief and a comfort for us. I have heard it argued before. Maybe you guys have, have heard this. And I, I admit that I actually thought along these lines before. That even if Christians are wrong, well, at least we lived a moral life, right? At least we um, kind of did some good for this life and for the world. At least we had a satisfying life with good friends and family. And, and um, so what if we die and there's nothing? That's not according to the Bible. That's wrong. 1 Corinthians 15, 16 through 19. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ is not raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. According to Paul, according to the Bible, if Christ did not rise from the dead, if it was all a hoax, if it was all a lie, we are the most pitiful people on the earth. Because we dedicate our lives, because we go to the mission field and we die for a lie. We die with a false hope of resurrection. And yet the historical reality of the resurrection gives us hope. The whole thrust for missions work in this world, for giving up all that you have and all your comforts to go and bring the gospel, is that you have a hope of future resurrection for yourself and for those that you are ministering to. It's hope of, of union with Christ. For the hundreds of thousands of missionaries and Christians who are persecuted and killed each year, even in this modern age, their hope is with the resurrection of Christ. As a Christian, you can safely abandon yourself to God. You do not need to fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul because you are secure with God. 
So Paul rejoices, finds joy in death. Finally, point four. Paul rejoices in Christ's glory. Let's read verses 24 through 26 again. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So what's Paul's resolution? How does he he resolve this conflict between wanting to live and wanting to die and be with Christ? Ultimately, he is convinced of the need to stay on the earth so that he can continue to minister the word. There's a couple reasons for this. First, in verse 25, he says, For your progress. You know what I love about Paul is his concern for the saints. Paul is concerned so greatly for the people under his care and under his ministry. Last night I was working on this sermon late into the night because I didn't get a head start at it earlier in the week because I'm, I procrastinate. And um, as I was working on the sermon, it was late, and I got a phone call from a friend who needed my help. He needed to work through some issues spiritually. And I found myself putting the phone in my ear like this, and, and, I, kept, and I kept typing on the computer. And then I thought, what the heck am I doing? My friend needs my help. He's, he needs my prayers. He needs my full attention, and, and yet I'm sitting here typing on the computer. So I had to get up and go into the other room as the Spirit convicted me of that. Paul has such a love for the saints. He cares so much about their progress, their sanctification, that he's willing to give up union with Christ in death in order to continue ministering to them. Are we so inward focused sometimes, focusing on our own spiritual walks, focusing on our own affairs and events, that we don't look outward to the fellow saints that need our help? Secondly, Paul desires to stay on the earth for the saints' joy in the faith. You see, when people come to a knowledge of salvation, when they come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Savior and as their righteousness, joy follows that. Great joy follows that. Because no longer do they have to depend on their own righteous works to satisfy God. They are free in Christ to trust in Him for salvation. There's a strong connection between believing right doctrine, believing truth about Christ, and finding joy in Christ. Philippians 1, 9 and 10, earlier on in the same chapter. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So what does love abound in? It abounds in knowledge and truth and discernment, knowing the correct doctrines from the Bible. But why? So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. What's the connection that Paul makes there? We know in our heads, sound doctrine about the Bible, so that we may be made blameless. The point of sound doctrine is holiness. Don't just memorize the, the Westminster Confession. Don't memorize Wayne Grudem's systematic theology book and not let that affect your life. It's all for the purpose of holiness. It doesn't end there. His purpose was made so that, was so that they would be made pure. Verse 11 of Philippians 1 to the glory and praise of God. To Christ's glory is the ultimate goal. And this is the final reason for Paul's decision to stay in minister. Verse 26. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul, looking forward to his possible release from prison, is saying that he cannot wait to see the faces of the saints, to minister with them, 
but not just for their own inward-focused joy, but that they may have joy in the glory of Jesus Christ. Paul's heart, his only desire is that Jesus Christ be glorified, make, to make his name great among the nations. Let me just close real quick with the story of Jim Elliot. Some of you guys have heard this before. Uh, Jim Elliot was a mi uh, missionary to the people of Ecuador. He was a young man in his 20s. And him and four missionaries decided that they were going to go and bring the gospel to an unreached people group in Ecuador that had never heard the gospel. They were known to be violent. They were known to attack other tribes around them. But they felt a burden from God to bring the, the gospel to these people. He studied hard. He spent years pursuing a Bible degree. He invested his life in the study of Greek and the word of God in the original languages. And finally, after months of planning and preparation, they brought their plan into action and, and built a camp near this tribe. Well, soon after they did that, ten of the tribesmen from that tribe ambushed them and attacked them and killed all of them. They killed them and they found their bodies mutilated miles away in the river. Why is that joyful for them? Why do they pursue that? Doesn't that seem a waste that they spent so many years? They could have ministered in a church in America somewhere. They could have ministered somewhere where they could have done some good with their years. They'd still be alive today. But they did not heed those warnings because to them, death was gain. Life was service to Christ and death was union with Christ. Elias, El, Jim Elliot's most famous statement is this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that, that which he cannot lose. Here's the foundation of all missions work, of all service to Christ, that we will gain something far greater in our death, union with Christ. We can rejoice in that. So this week, as we go about our lives, let us find joy. Let us find joy in fellowshipping together. Let us find joy in Christ, whether by life or by death, knowing that Christ will be glorified through us as that is the ultimate goal of all of the work that we do in the church. Let's pray. God, thank you for giving us the witness of men like Jim Elliot and his companions, God. Thank you for giving us the witness of the hundreds of thousands of martyrs each year, God. I pray that our hearts would be burdened for them. I pray that our hearts would be burdened for missions work, God, for people who have not been reached with the gospel. I pray that as we see the truth of Paul's statements in the scriptures, that death is truly gain for us, God, that we would abandon ourselves to a life of service because we do not fear death any longer as you have conquered death on the cross and in the resurrection. I pray for this coming week, God, that everybody would be edified as they fellowship together, as they read your word, as their hearts are affected by your spirit and prayer. God, I just pray for today that you would bring glory to your name through the actions of every person here. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.